0: So this is our fifth week in our series of the gospel. So the reason we're going through this is, again, we'll point out that, well, it's on the backside of this, but I can take this off. See how it says gospel, community, and mission? The man, pay no attention to the man behind the, the poster. Um, so gospel, we're talking about the gospel. So this is how we want to, how we have and how we hope to be able to define ourselves or Our mission here as a church is first and foremost defined by the gospel. And so we've been spending the last few weeks talking about the gospel. We started, and it starts all with God's word, where we find the gospel. It starts with reading it. And so we looked at Psalm chapter 1, and we looked at reading it. We looked at meditating upon the word of God. And as we meditate upon the word of God, it's like being near streams of water being planted there and soaking up the Word of God. And that's going to lead us to pray. It's going to lead us to pray. And so we've been encouraging one another for the last several weeks to pray, particularly to pray for at least just one person, to pray that God would open their eyes to see the truth of the gospel, to pray that God would save them, to pray that God would use us as His instruments to proclaim the gospel to them so that they might believe That they might be saved, that their hearts might be changed, that they might be given new hearts, that God might put a right spirit within them, a new spirit, as we read from in Ezekiel chapter 36 earlier, a few minutes ago. So we pray and then we plan. So we looked at Colossians chapter 4 a few weeks ago. We looked at Colossians chapter 4, and there Paul talks about planning. He talks about Pray for me as I go and proclaim to the people I'm going to talk to. Pray for me. And you need to be praying for me just like really you're praying for yourself. And you need to make the best use of your time. And why do you need to make the best use of your time? Because, well, I mean, he says in Ephesians chapter 5, because the days are evil. Because we don't have all the time in the world. Because time is the one commodity that you can never get back. You can't bottle it up and then, you know, bust it open later on and be like, ah, I've got 26 hours today instead of 24. It just doesn't doesn't work like that. You can't recoup it. And so Paul tells us in Colossians 4 to make the best use of our time, to plan for how we're going to spend it. And so one of the ways that he mentions that, or the way really particularly that he mentions that in Colossians chapter 4, is in the realm of evangelism, is in the realm of, hey, as you're praying for me, as I'm going to boldly proclaim the gospel, and I need your prayers, I need the Spirit of God to empower me, to enlighten me, to give me the words to say in the moment, you as well, as you are evangelizing, Make good use of your time and plan for what you are going to say. Don't just go in there with no game plan. Don't just go in there willy-nilly. Have an idea of what you are seeking to accomplish. And have, having prayed beforehand and during and after, know what you're going to say. And so we've been talking about, for the last two weeks and we'll end this week, a simple gospel presentation that is clear and concise, that is simple, that is understandable, that's repeatable, that you can do in just a couple minutes. Now, of course, we've taken longer than just a couple minutes to explain it, to draw it out, but it's something that you can just do on a napkin. You can, do, um, you can download an app on your phone, and it'll write it out for you. It'll play a little video if you want it to. But it all comes back to this idea that we as Christians, that we as people of the Vine Church... Understand from the word of God that we have been sent to go and make disciples. That we have been sent to proclaim the gospel. So we read the word of God we meditate upon it. And that leads us to prayer. And we're praying for opportunities to proclaim the gospel. And so how are we supposed to proclaim the gospel? Well, we plan for it. And one way that we can plan for it is to plan, to memorize, to understand, to know a particular presentation of the gospel. And so that's what we have been doing. This is called the three circles. And the first circle that we talked about, that we talked about two weeks ago, is God's design. So this is our first circle, God's design. I mean, so this is literally what you can draw out for people as you're talking to them. You can point to God's design. We talked about Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. From the beginning of God's Word, God had a design. For everything. He had a design for your work. He had a design for your family life. He had a design for your kids. He had a design for how you relax, how you rest. God had a design in this world for us, his people. God designed us and he said, this is good and it's very good. And he made man as one of the last things in creation, as sort of the pinnacle of his creation. He said, man, this is, this is really good. And I've put forward a purpose for them. God had a design. But we looked at last week. The Bible tells us that Adam and Eve chose to depart from God's design. And the word that the Bible uses to describe that departure from God's design is sin. So instead of staying within God's design, we've moved outside of that circle and we have Sin, just like Adam and Eve sinned, we too have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. And what this leads us to is the second circle, which we looked at last week, which is brokenness. Leads us to brokenness. And we talked about last week how brokenness, we all experience this. And really this is the place to kind of start to use as the launch pad to begin this entire conversation of the gospel with somebody, is because we all experience brokenness. We experience it outside of ourselves, things that we see around us, family members who get sick, friends, co-workers, co-workers' dads who get sick, that we've just prayed for. We see that there is brokenness all around us. There are things in our life that we don't like. There are things in our life that make us want to change, that help us to know that this is not how it should be, that this is not the way, that certainly if there is a God and He is good, this is not what He intended. This is not. This certainly could not have been His design. So we experience brokenness. And it's not just the things around us, it's also coming from within us. And so as we realize that things are broken around us, right, just look at the political situation in any country, really, but especially ours, there's brokenness. And as we think about how are we going to change to get and move away from this brokenness, there are all sorts of things that we do to try and recapture some sort of peace, some sort of wholeness, right? And so some people, they look to drugs to alleviate the pain. They look to alcohol to numb it away. Some people are just left in guilt and fear and shame. Some people just try to run away from their problems. They leave relationships. That's why there's so much divorce. That's why sometimes family life is difficult. Why sometimes kids run away from home and anger and bitterness. There are all sorts of things that we try to do as humans to change And to get out of this state and this exposure to all this brokenness. But the only true way that there is that the Bible talks about to experience some sort of real change of something lastful, impactful, something lasting is what we get when we look at the gospel. There is one thing that, one good thing that brokenness does for us is it helps us to realize our need for change. And our need, as we understand it as Christians from God's word, our need for the gospel. The good news, the gospel is that God made a way out of our brokenness. And that's sort of our first point, if you're taking notes. God made a way out of our brokenness. What's really interesting, and I mentioned this last week just for a second, is we could have just stayed in Genesis chapter 3 for even this third circle. All three circles we can find simply in Genesis 1 and 2 and Genesis 3. You can can just have those three chapters, and you can do this entire presentation. Now, Jesus Christ is not named in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, but he is alluded to. And that's where, I mean, if you look in Genesis chapter 3, he is mentioned, like I said, not by name, But God had this planned all along as God is giving the repercussions for sin. In Genesis 3, starting in verse 14, he begins with the serpent. He says, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, here it is. This is the first instance of the gospel message. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now we've talked about this before in sermons past, but that is a reference to he shall bruise your head, meaning he shall crush your head. He shall overcome all of the evil, all of the Sadness, all of the pain, all of the suffering, the sin that has now entered the world, he is going to do something about it. He is greater than you, serpent. He is greater than you, devil. He is greater than you, brokenness that has entered into this world. It's going to cost him something, it's going to cost him his life. You shall bruise his heel, but it's not going to be lasting like the lasting changes that he is going to present. And so we have this first instance. Now then later on in verse 21, in Genesis chapter 3 still, it's mentioned that not only does God foretell of this salvation that is to come, and this particular seed of the woman, but even immediately in verse 21, God sacrifices an animal And our first instance of sacrifice in the Bible to clothe Adam and Eve. Verse 21 of Genesis 3. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now, I mean, sometimes you could think that that's just a random aside, a random note. But it's not random. It is, hey, Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with fig leaves that they sewed together. And God was like, hey, look, you know... You're still naked. You know, let let me do something about this for you. Let me provide a way for you to not have to go around in that same state, at least temporarily. The sacrifice was made that God did himself, and he clothed Adam and Eve. The gospel is not just in the New Testament. The gospel is all throughout the word of God. We find its fulfillment, we find its most full expression in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Knowing that God loved us and sent his one and only son. So that instead of this random animal that has been sacrificed in Genesis 3, or all of these animals in the Old Testament that have been sacrificed, now Jesus, as we read explicitly in Hebrews 10.10, Jesus has once and for all been the ultimate, the only needed sacrifice now has been made so that there no longer is any need for additional sacrifices. All of the sacrifices that have been made up to that point have just been a temporary alleviation of brokenness, a simple picture of what has been needed until Jesus came to fully be the sacrifice once and for all. That we needed. And I put in our bulletin, sort of our our main verses that we're looking at today are 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. And so, as we look at the gospel, as you explain the gospel to somebody using these three circles and using this third circle of the gospel, the simplest way to explain it, I think, is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where you're going to get still the basics of the gospel message. And that's really what Paul is telling the Corinthian church. It says in 1 Corinthians fifteen verse one, it says, "Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures." That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that's really... like I mean, you can stop there. I mean, because he just goes on to say, there are hundreds of people, including the disciples, and more than just the 12 disciples, or 11 really, at that point, who Jesus appeared to, who saw him. There was 500 people who saw the risen Christ at one time. So Jesus came to earth. He lived. He was born, as we sang about earlier. Because we sing songs about Christmas all throughout the year. Because, you know, we celebrate all of who Christ was and is for us. How he came to this earth as a baby. How he lived a perfect life. How he died. And so that's why, I mean, the arrow is just down. It's down and down and down. Down to the depths of death. Even For us, he was sacrificed for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 15. He died, he was buried. So we have that down arrow. But of course, you cannot have the gospel message if you just leave it there, because if Jesus is just dead and buried, then we have no hope, which Paul goes on to continue to talk about in 1 Corinthians 15. But our hope is in the fact that he was raised from the dead. And so then we just have the simple arrow up. So Jesus came to this earth, was born as a baby, lived a perfect life, died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and was raised to show that he has the power over sin, over death. Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 15, Death, where is your sting? Hell, where is your victory? Jesus has conquered the grave. Jesus has been raised. The good news is not that someone just died, it's that he was raised from the dead. That this brokenness that we have all experienced, that we all participate in ourselves from the inside out and from the outside in, Jesus has the power, because he's been raised from the dead, to do something about it. We're not left to our own devices. God made a way out of our brokenness. And the gospel is simply, this was our second point, that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and God raised him from the dead. Jesus, the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus saves us from our sins. Now, how do we get, how do we get from brokenness to the gospel? How do we receive this? How does this become our story? Instead of our story just being brokenness, instead of our story just being trying to alleviate the pain by leaving, to alleviate the pain by whatever this world has to offer, the temporary pleasures, money, sex, drugs, whatever it is, how do we how do we receive this? How, how do we get to this point to receive the lasting and true change? Well, that change the Bible calls repentance. We have to repent. We have to recognize that all the ways in which we have sought, if I can write here, maybe I can. We have to recognize that all the ways in which we have tried to alleviate and to leave And to limit the experience of brokenness in our lives has not worked. That we must repent. We must change. We must turn away from all of those things and start to simply believe that Jesus has himself on the cross taken all of that brokenness, all of our sin on his shoulders. And that he has paid the cost. That he has taken God's wrath upon himself. We repent and we believe. That we can't do anything for ourselves. But that Jesus has done everything for us. This is the basic message of the gospel. We, all we have to do, this is the third point. Again, if you're still taking notes. We just have to repent and believe the gospel. Repent means to change, to turn from our sin, and to turn to Jesus. John 3.16, a lot of us know, isn't as popular anymore. I remember as a kid, uh, there used to be signs at football games oftentimes where you'd see people just holding up John 3.16 signs. I don't know if you'll remember that if you ever watched football a lot. But yeah, it should be like all over the place. I actually, in college, in a speech class I had... Um, I really didn't try too hard in one of my speeches that I had to have a um, some sort of physical component to it. And so all I did was I got a poster. It was kind of like this and I just wrote John 316 on it. (laughs) It was like the most basic. It was the most basic visual uh, ever. I didn't get a really good grade in that class, but Who cares? Um, But I used it. I I mean, I used that speech as really just an opportunity to present the gospel to my class. And that was half the reason why I chose to do that and to say, you know, this is what that means. Because 20 years ago, people would have recognized that a little bit more. You know, when you're watching a football game, you'd see someone in the crowd in the end zone holding up John 3.16 as they're kicking a football through the, you know, uprights. Now we don't see it as much. But John 3.16, I bring that up. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And after John 3:16, it says, in John 3:17, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So what we're trying to do what we're trying to educate people in I mean because this is really what it means to proclaim the gospel to simply present in a in a way like this is to educate someone and to help them to see that this is the truth of God's word broken down in a simple understandable format that Jesus does not condemn us if we don't believe, but we have, we're already condemned. We already have experienced and committed sin in our life. We already are in this realm of brokenness. We're already out here in all these arrows trying to figure out how to fix ourselves. We're already condemned. We're already lost and without hope. But what Jesus has done, He did not come to condemn the world. He came... To save us, He came to give us the path to get back to recovering and pursuing God's design for our life, to actually having a right relationship back, to pursuing wholeness, to pursuing peace, to pursuing truth, pursuing a way of living that is actually going to bring. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. All the things that when you look at it and when you think about it, that's what I want in my life. I want peace. I want joy. I want patience. I want gentleness. I want self-control. I want to be right with God. I want to be on his good side. I want to honor him because I recognize him as God. Because I recognize that if he is in fact God, then he knows the right way. And I don't. And so we recognize that if we have repented and believed in the gospel, that God gives us, and this is our fourth point, God helps us recover and pursue his design for our lives. God helps us recover and pursue God's design. For our lives. We read in Ezekiel 36, he removes the heart of stone that we have, and he gives us a heart of flesh. He gives us his spirit to indwell us. I mean, read the Gospel of John, chapters 14, 15, 16, chapter 13. It's all about the Spirit of God working in our lives that God has given us, has sent to us a helper. That the helper of the Holy Spirit will teach us truth, will lead us into truth. And again, one one of the greatest things about this way of illustrating the gospel to somebody else and even to our own hearts is that this is a constant circle that we find ourselves in. This is not just a one-off, this is how you can be saved. This is a how you can be saved and how you can live as a Christian. And so even for ourselves, this is not a bad model as Christians to continue to think about for ourselves. So when I experience brokenness in my life as a Christian, I recognize it's because of sin, either someone else's sin that I'm affected by or my own sin that I'm affected by as well, or both, because we have not followed God's design. Because this world is broken. And so in this brokenness. Am I choosing all of these other ways. To try and alleviate. And define joy. And to find wholeness and peace. Or. Am I looking for the gospel. Am I looking at the gospel. As the only way. That I can actually. Recover and pursue God's design. And so. This is not just really a presentation of the gospel for for those who are yet to believe. This is a presentation and a remembrance of the message of God's word for us also as Christians. And as we recover and pursue God's design, God then sends us back out to share the same message. He has sent us as his ambassadors. So we've been in 1 Corinthians 15 sort of and we've been a lot of places. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which is just a few pages over if you're still in 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us this. He reconciles us to himself. And as he does that, he sends us out to be his ambassadors. ...of reconciliation so that others might also understand. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself... ...and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ... God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So you, when you look at these verses, when you look at these words, what Paul says that he is entrusted to us, that God in Christ has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. How can we reconcile the existence of living in a broken world? How can we get back here? Well, we can't, we can't just draw a line straight back to God's design. It has to go through repenting and believing in the gospel. This is the message The message of the gospel that we are using to reconcile people back to God. That we are appealing to people. I mean, that's what Paul literally says. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. That means we then are appealing to people. We are asking them. Why do you not believe the gospel? Do you not know it? Can I I explain it to you? Can I explain to you how... This costs you nothing and yet everything all at the same time. You don't have to do anything to receive this. You just have to believe. Change your mind that understanding that all these ways that we have tried in the past have not worked. And maybe they worked for a minute, but they haven't been lasting. And the only way to truly experience change, is to repent, to turn away from all those different ways that we've tried, and to believe that Jesus is the only way, because He lived and died and was buried and was raised. And that miracle is what drives us to then become ambassadors to help others recover and pursue God's design through the knowledge of their sin and brokenness and the truth of the gospel so that they can then recover and pursue for themselves God's design and recover and pursue other people to live according to God's design because they have repented and believed in the gospel. And the circle just for them, for us, as we proclaim the gospel, just repeats itself. God is making his appeal through us, we are god 's ambassadors. I remember as um, i grew up I grew up Southern Baptist, and so I was a royal ambassador. It was like the the boys uh, you know grade school training um, so we do that on Sunday nights and I still remember i haven't i haven 't looked up the Uh, The motto that we would um, repeat, that we had memorized, sort of our pledge. But it said, as a royal ambassador, right, which is that same word. As a royal ambassador, I will do my best to become a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ. To have a Christ-like concern for all people. And to keep myself clean and healthy and mind and body. Right. So, you know, of course, they threw in some nice, you know, hey, be a physically good person, too. Um, Which, you know, is good because, hey, how can we be good ambassadors if we're not good stewards of what God has given to us? So but I want to become a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ. And how can I be a well-informed, responsible follower of Christ? Well, this is one way that we can do this is by planning A presentation of the gospel that is clear, succinct, concise. And to give it to people. To actually plan to tell someone about this. To have a Christ-like concern for all people. To not leave them dead in their sins. To not leave them dead in their experience of brokenness. But to tell them there's a way out. Tell them that God hasn't left us without hope in this world. And so that's why, for the last several weeks, we've been praying. We've been praying at least for just one person in our life. That God might use us as his instrument, as his ambassador. That God would make his appeal through us to them. To respond to the message that we proclaim to them. Because we have received it first, and we recognize That it has become our duty, our responsibility, our privilege to now proclaim this to them and to be used by God. So we've been praying and we've been in sort of a big group setting, been planning for a way in which we can do this, a way in which we can present it well. And so now it becomes just a simple matter of whether or not we're going to do it. Because it's easy, it's easy to talk about all this. It's easy for me to stand up here and draw some circles and some squiggly lines. But we have to actually go do it. And if we don't go do it, then we have really just wasted our time. And we don't do this I want to make clear, we're not planning on doing this to make ourselves feel better. We're not planning on doing this because of the results that we expect to see. We're doing this because this is what God has called us to do. We're doing this because we truly believe that God has made us his ambassadors. And that he has called us to go and make disciples. We can't make disciples if they don't know the message of the gospel. And we can't encourage one another and equip one another if we don't continue to think about these things and to encourage one another to do them. So the plan is to in the coming weeks to actually train on this. Now I mean I would like to think that my three 30-minute sermons that I've had so far, you know, would be fully sufficient. And maybe they are. Maybe they're not. Of helping us to understand how to do this three circles. Um, but I think it would be good for us to go through some little, a little bit more like intentional training where we're actually doing it for ourselves in a favorable company. To where we can say, hey, you know, let me talk about this and let me stumble through it with a friend as opposed to with someone else that I'm nervous and wanting them to receive the gospel. And I don't want to get this wrong. I don't want to, I don't want to tell them that they have to do all these good works to receive the gospel, you know. I want to say the right stuff. And I want to be able to do this succinctly. I want to, I want to know what points I can talk about when it comes to God's design. I, I want to know the things that To focus on the things I've experienced when it comes to brokenness. I want to know how I can transition a regular conversation into a conversation about the gospel. How can I do that? How can I memorize some transition statements that help me to go when someone says something about something that is wrong in their life. Something that they have experienced that is uh, in in the realm of brokenness. And to then dive into yeah, man, this is not how God created this world to be. This is not how it's supposed to be, and I'm sorry that you've experienced that. Can I talk to you about what God has done to get us through that, to help us in the midst of that, to give us the strength, the truth, the change of heart that we need as fallen creatures? So... We're going to plan on doing that, and so we're going to talk about when and where, um, and hopefully we can do it to where the majority of us can be a part of that. And so whether we do it as just simply part of um, our regular Sunday afternoon gatherings, um, then we might do that. If we want to do it afterwards, we can do that, but um, we're going to have some conversations and figure it out, so... I hope that you're ready for such things. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word of truth. We thank you that you have opened our eyes to see and our ears to hear, that we've received the gospel, that we've repented and believed. You have given us a new heart. You have given us your spirit. Help us to remember the gospel and to stop trying to fix things on our own. To stop trying to fix things our own way. But to seek wisdom from you and from your word, to seek truth from you and in your word. To depend on the gospel to depend on what Christ has done for us, and not on our works, not on our attitudes, not on our success in ministry, but that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus, his blood, his righteousness, that he died, was buried, and was raised To pay my penalty. To pay our penalty. Of sin. To cover the wrath of God. God help us to remember that. Help us to live in light of that. Would you please. Do that. And use us we pray. As we've been praying for these individuals in our lives. Would you use us. To present the gospel. To proclaim it. And would your spirit open their eyes to see. Open their ears to hear. Give them a new heart. Put your spirit within them. God, you you can do that. And we want to see you do that. We are your ambassadors. So bear fruit in our message that we proclaim. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.